Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with uh, Joey Coleman, and uh, he's the author of uh, the great book, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. He has worked with Volkswagen, Zappos, Whirlpool, and uh, other well-known companies. And uh, today he will share his methodology called The First 100 Days, which is crucial to retain uh, customers as a company. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Joy, it's good to have you here. How are you today? Hey, Daniel, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to everybody who's watching and are listening in. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So before we jump into it, it's an exciting story to share with our audience how we got connected. I uh, posted around two months ago on my LinkedIn, my three uh, favorite books on customer retention. And uh, one of the books was your book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And I think the other two books were Zappos, Delivering Happiness and Contagious. Those are also great books. But these three books, they helped me understand customer retention and, and customer loyalty much more. I think I didn't even tag you or I did, I don't know, but you could see it and you commented below and that's how we got connected on LinkedIn. So I think that it's the power of social media nowadays. And then I, I agree. Yeah, no, I can't remember if you had tagged me or if someone else tagged me in a reply yeah. or we saw it or something like that. But I, I so appreciated it. And I'm honored to be included in a list with the late, great Tony Shea's book from Zappos, Delivering Happiness. You know, I had the pleasure of working with Zappos and working with Tony a number of times and uh, such an amazing book and an amazing organization. And then Jonah Berger, I mean, his work is uh, speaks for itself. It's absolutely incredible. So I'm honored to be included in a list with two other great books. How did you start with business, with the business world? And uh, how did you get oriented into this direction of customer retention and loyalty? Yeah, it's interesting, Daniel. I had a very eclectic career path. So I studied government international relations when I was in college. I went to law school where I studied litigation, international law, and national security law. I worked for the United States Secret Service. I worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. I worked in the White House, Office of Counsel to the President. I worked as a salesperson, basically, and consultant for a for-profit think tank. I was a criminal defense lawyer. I taught at the postgraduate level. I ran an ad agency. And what's interesting is all of those jobs, while they seem like they're all over the place, they have a common thread that connects all of them. And the thread that connects all of them is in each of those positions, the way you advanced or rewarded was by having a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do humans do the things they do? And what can we do to convince them or persuade them or encourage them to do the things we'd like them to do? And so as all of those experiences and kind of different career paths melded together, I found myself really focusing on human psychology as it related in a business context to customers. And I, as I mentioned, I had an ad agency and a branding agency where our job was to drive new attention, new clicks, new customers to the door. What I realized is that while we were very good at that, my clients weren't keeping the customers that we worked so hard to get for them. And this led me on a decades-long research jaunt and journey to figure out why do customers leave and what can we do to convince them to stay? 
And that really led to the book. It led to consulting. It led to me giving lots of speeches all around the world and working with amazing companies to help them focus on this retention side of the business, which I think a lot of businesses focus too much on the acquisition side of the business and getting new customers, as opposed to what do we do to keep those customers we worked so hard to get. It's so interesting that you you mentioned these places where you worked before and uh Actually, the favorite book of our salesperson is from Chris Voss and uh, Never Split the Difference. I think yeah, don't, don't Split the Difference, I think. Yeah, it's, it's all about that. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah. yeah, and it's so so interesting to see people with legal background. He was in FBI, right? Or CIA? Yeah, yeah FBI. FBI, yeah. yeah. And those kind of guys in the marketing world. And uh, I think that is a big uh, overlap between the two areas. So yeah, no, it, it is interesting. And I think one of the things I realized being in business, and it's funny you should mention kind of these past careers. You know, when I was a criminal defense lawyer, if I misspoke or if I gave the wrong advice, someone went to prison. That's yeah. a big consequence. Yeah. Now, if I misspeak, well, maybe you lose a customer. Maybe you don't get to sell as many products next quarter, but no one goes to jail. No one goes to prison. So it's actually, at least for me, feels a lot easier than what my older jobs did. And I imagine Chris feels the same way. You know, when yeah. he was negotiating for hostages, if they make a mistake, there's some really big consequences. In business, you know, we think that they're big consequences, but it's, you know, maybe losing some money or not being able to achieve the goal that you had for that year or that quarter. Yes, those things are disappointing, but I think sometimes keeping our perspective is useful too. Yeah, actually, we just had this conversation in my company last week that we have to empower people making mistakes because yeah. that's how we can be creative being creative and coming up with let's say one brilliant idea has 100x more impact than not making mistakes and just playing safe daniel and- i totally agree with you you know it's uh it's interesting i have two little boys a six-year-old and an eight-year-old we ask different questions at dinner not the same questions every night at dinner but we kind of rotate through questions and one of the ones that we try to ask regularly which we just asked last week was what did you fail at today and to kind of normalize failing to normalize yeah. making mistakes because it's like if you're not pushing then you're in trouble and if you're pushing and you're trying new things and you're experimenting you're going to make mistakes you're going to fail and to me that's part of the growth and evolution process i think that's a really good parenting method <laughs> we'll, we'll see they're very young we'll see how this works when they get yeah. older So let's talk about your book and uh, let's start with uh, the basic concepts. So you mentioned different stages of the customer journey. What are these? Yeah, I believe that there are eight phases of a customer journey. And if it makes sense, I'll go through them rather quickly and then we can dive into whichever one, whichever ones you want to talk about. All eight phases as a preview start with the letter A. And the idea is if you get all of these right, it's like getting straight A's at school, getting high marks from your customers because you've done a good job in every phase. The first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospect is assessing whether or not they want to become a customer. In common parlance, we think of this as marketing and sales. They're looking at your website, your marketing materials. They're in some sales conversations with you. They're in the decision-making process to figure out if they want to become a customer. They then move to phase two. This is the admit phase. This is when a prospect admits that they have a problem or a need that they think you can help them solve. They sign on the dotted line. They hand over their hard-earned cash. This is day one of the first 100 days process, right? So this is when the clock starts ticking. Almost immediately after they make that purchase, though, they move to phase three. Phase three is the affirm stage. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse, where they begin to doubt the decision that they just made to work with you. Now, in most businesses, we're celebrating, we're high-fiving, ringing bells. We got the new client. We're really happy. Meanwhile, at the client's office, 
or at the customer's home, they're saying, Ooh, did I make the right purchase? I was looking at a couple of options and I chose this one, but what if it's not right? Will I be able to get my money back? Will I get in trouble? How will I do this? And that difference in our emotional high and the customer's emotional low or uncertainty, if we don't address that, we're in real trouble. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. This is the first real moment of truth when they receive the product in the mail or they come for a kickoff meeting or they first experience our service. In the activate phase, we want to energize the relationship. We want to let them know that doing business with us is going to be unlike any business experience they've ever had. We then go to phase five, the acclimate phase. And I will tell you, Daniel, this is the phase where most businesses lose their customers. Mm -hmm. Because in the acclimate phase, our job is to hold our customer's hand, to help them acclimate to our way of doing business, to get used to our way of doing business. Because see, we've done this dozens or hundreds or maybe thousands of times. But to a new customer, they have no idea what comes next. They have no idea what's going on. So we need to take care of them and help them through this so that hopefully they reach phase six, the accomplish phase. See, every prospect, going back to when they were a beginning prospect, has a vision of what they want, a goal that they're trying to achieve when they buy our product or when they sign up for our service. Now, if we don't pay attention to what that goal is, we don't write it down, we don't track the progress towards it, we might forget. And more importantly, they might forget what the goal is. And if they don't achieve their goal, we have no hope of getting them to the last two phases. So we need to help them accomplish their goal. If we do that, we get the chance to move on to phase seven, the adopt phase, where the customer becomes loyal to us and only us. They're not looking at the competition. They've adopted the relationship. They're committed to continuing to do business with us in the future. And if, and only if we've gotten through all seven of those phases, do we get to the last phase, the final phase, the holy grail, nirvana, the thing everybody's striving for, which is the advocate phase. When our customer becomes a raving fan, singing our praises far and wide. See, the big problem, Daniel, is most businesses want to jump to that phase eight advocate phase right away. They want to get the customer signed up and then say, well, who else do you know that might need our product? Or, hey, there's some other things we want to sell you and have you join up and participate in it as well. We need to pace ourselves and take time to work through each of the eight phases. Yeah, thanks for sharing this. And uh, everyone can find this in the book as well in a much more detailed way. Yeah, so this podcast focuses on e-commerce companies. And I know you work with Zappos, which is one of the first big e-commerce companies in the US. And I'm really curious, how do you see these phases in, you know, in e-commerce? Let's say if you speak about Zappos. Zappos. Yeah, so whether we're looking at Zappos or any type of e-commerce business, there, there's really two types of e-commerce businesses. There's many types, but I think we can put them into two buckets. There's e-commerce businesses that are selling products and e-commerce businesses that are selling services. Okay. Let's yeah. look at products because it'll be a quicker and an easier analogy. And then we can look at services too. In an e-commerce setting for a product, the assess phase is them coming to your website, looking to see, do you even carry the product? Do you have pictures of the product? Can I see it at different angles? Are there reviews about the product? Are there reviews about you and your service in providing the product? This is all happening in the assess phase. The admit phase is when they put the product into the cart and they select buy. They enter the credit card information and they purchase the product. The affirm phase is what happens right after that. For most e-commerce businesses, it's just a screen that says, we've confirmed your order. Maybe there's an email that follows up and says, hey, we've got your order and we're going to let you know the tracking number when it's available, or it'll be arriving in your house in three or four days or whatever it may be. The activate phase is when it arrives. Now, here's the surprise, Daniel. Most e-commerce businesses think their job is done. Yeah. You bought the product. We sent it to you. We did the transaction. And that's why most e-commerce businesses struggle with long-term customer retention because they think that once the transaction is done, the relationship is done. And then they get frustrated when those customers 
customers don't come and buy again. See, they're missing phase five, the acclimate phase, where we're checking in to see, is the customer actually using the product? Now, sometimes people might be listening or watching and they say, well, Joey, that sounds ridiculous. Everyone who buys a product uses a product. Really? Do you have books on your shelf that you purchased that you haven't read? Do you have clothes in your closet that you bought the clothes and maybe the tags are still on or you bought the shirt and you thought you were going to wear it, but you really never wear it? You always wear your favorite shirt instead of the new shirt? See, we have a tendency as humans to want to acquire new things. But the acquiring the new item, the new product is only part of the story. It's when do we start to use it? When does it become part of our life so that we can hopefully go to the next phase, accomplishing the goal? When we bought the book, we didn't buy the book to have it sit on the shelf. We bought the book to read. When we bought the shirt, we didn't buy it to have it hang in our closet. We bought it to wear. And so what are we doing to make sure that our customers actually use the products they buy from us? And are we checking in and are we continuing the conversation? And then are we coming back with other recommendations? Well, I know you bought this shirt. We just had this new pair of pants come out that will look really good with that shirt. You might want to pair those here. Or remember last summer when you bought this short sleeve shirt? We've got a new style of shirt coming out this summer. And so what are we doing to continue the relationship to build those adopters and hopefully build those advocates? Yeah, and this is the accomplished stage once once they get there, right? And then Correct. the accomplished, more, the accomplished right? stage is somebody bought a shirt and their idea was, I want to buy a shirt so that I can wear it this summer when I'm at the pool or when I'm at the beach, they accomplish when they actually go and they wear it. So yeah. one of the things I've done with some of my consulting clients is we've looked at, well, let's ask the customer why they purchased it. So we'll do a survey and we'll say, hey, you bought our shirt. Did you wear this shirt? Did you buy the shirt to wear to the beach, to wear to a wedding, to wear to a birthday party, to wear around on the weekends in your house, to wear when you're going out to the club? Why did you buy it? And then when they answer, we pay attention. If they say, well, I decided to buy it for a wedding. Oh, great. When is the wedding? Well, the wedding is in August. Okay, great. Have fun at the wedding. Then they send an email in September that says, hey, did you wear the shirt to the wedding? wedding. I hope it was a great wedding. If you have a picture of it, we'd love to see it. Yeah. Now we're having a different level of conversation because then when they share the photo, we say, wow, can we put this up on our website with the other shirts to show people how good you looked in the shirt? <clears throat> well, now you're building an advocate and you're reminding them that, hey, that thing you've said you were going to do, buy the shirt to wear to the wedding. You did it. We have other shirts in case you have other weddings. We have other shirts in case you just want a shirt to wear to work, not to the wedding. And so now we're having a different level of conversation because a customer feels like we care about them personally instead of all we care about is selling more shirts yeah i just wanted to say i think if you really do this after the wedding the customer will think that's wow this is such a cool company i can actually talk to them to a real person about the wedding daniel you're absolutely right and here's the interesting thing lots of times when we talk about these things business owners and people that are involved in organizations say well joey that feels creepy it just feels like too much like i don't want to tell someone what i'm doing great you don't and that's fine but some of your customers do. Some of your customers will happily share why they're buying your product. And they will tell you in great detail what they're hoping to achieve with your product. The question is, are we creating the space for them to share those things? Are we then recording those things, tracking them and writing them down, and then coming back to the customer later to make sure they actually did them? Most businesses aren't tracking the information. And I would argue that every business on the planet has sold a product or a service to a customer who the customer said, oh, this is why I want it. And then we did nothing with that information. Yeah. We didn't say, oh, that sounds like an amazing trip or an amazing wedding that you want to use the shirt for. Or if somebody buys a book and they say, oh, we're trying to buy this book because I want to learn more about how to raise kids. We talked earlier about my boys, right? So maybe they buy a book on parenting. Why not ask them? 
How old are your children? Why not come back to them? And let's say they say their children are six and eight. Well, in a year from now, maybe I can send them a book that's about how to deal with 10 year olds. Say, hey, we have this brand new book that just came out. We know your kids are a little younger, but they're going to be 10 soon. Maybe you would like this book of special things to do to help you be a better parent of a 10 year old. Well, now as the reader, I'm thinking this company cares about me. They care about my family and they're paying attention to what's going on. That's one of the best things about Amazon is they have that little recommendation at the bottom after you buy things where they say, well, people who bought this thing also bought these other things. I don't know about you, Daniel, but lots of times I find myself looking at that going, oh yeah, that looks like something I want too. This is the e-com equivalent of a retail store associate saying, that's a good looking shirt. We should pair it with this jacket. You should also try on these pants. That's using AI and using algorithms to anticipate what customers want and to track that data and to feed it back in a way that feels like a really positive recommendation engine. Yeah, actually, we also use this kind of feature in a software called Klaviyo in emails. Yes, yes absolutely. That we show people recommend personal recommendations. But what I really like about Amazon is how they put it. They don't say that you may like this as well, but they actually tell you that this is an AI tool and we don't know what you want but people who bought this what you just bought they also bought this uh, these other products so they are transparent about this they don't assume that you want to buy they just tell you that other people similar customers they also bought this so exactly and and i don't know about you daniel for me it doesn't feel like they're selling me then yeah they're providing me with additional information and trying to make my life more convenient yeah i have a question for you and this is a personal uh, struggle for me as well so probably most listeners, they know the concept of MPS score, net promoter score. And we also use it with clients and we have account managers and all of that. And I think e-commerce companies, they should do the same, something similar. And, uh, you know, the customers, they reply. Clients, customers, they reply. They tell you their opinions, but people are polite and they filter the information. So many times on the price is the problem they don't say. They just say that don't want to have an agency anymore. Or, and uh, I'm curious, what's your take on this? So how to see through their feedback? They are polite. And I think you know what I mean here. I, I do. Yeah. I think what's interesting is some of this can be cultural too, right? Depending on where your clients operate, what is in their culture. Some cultures are more direct. Some cultures are more yeah. polite. Some people are more direct. Some people are more polite. What we need to do, I think, is come up with ways to create the space for someone to speak honestly, even if it's against their normal behavior, their normal culture. Because if they're normally the kind of person that will say, well, I don't want to be a client anymore because you did this, this, and this. Well, that's great. We have the information. It sounds like we're more concerned or your question is more concerned with the person who's like, well, we just decided to go another direction or, oh, it was the price and, you know, or something that we can't do anything anymore. My favorite way to address this is one of the things I do with all of my clients, my coaching clients and consulting clients, is as we're going through a project together, about a third of the way through and about two thirds of the way through, we have a special call. And I never tell them about this call until we're in the call, right? It's not scheduled part of the agenda. I just say, hey, I'd love to set up a call and have a couple conversations. Okay. They set up the call and I say, great. Appreciate you making some time today. We're only going to spend about 20 minutes on this call. I just had three questions that I wanted to 
check in with. And the reason I want to check in on these questions is I want you to love working with me. I want you to think that working with Joey is the best business connection and relationship you've ever had. And what I found over the years is if you can answer three questions for me, it will help me to make sure that I live up to that standard. And hopefully it'll help you be able to have that experience working with me. Would you be willing to answer these questions? Let's just play Daniel, just you and I. Would you be willing, with that kind of setup, do you think you're now willing to answer these questions? Yeah, let's do it. I yeah, want to love working with you. So the first question I would ask is of all the things that we are doing with you, what thing do you want us to keep doing? What should we continue doing? What are you really liking that you think is fantastic? And then you answer and you say, oh, well, I really like that we have these phone calls, or I really like that you send the homework via email as well as on the conversation, or I love that you record our conversations and share them afterwards in case you say something that I want to go back and review. Okay, great, great. So that's what we should continue doing. What are two things that we're doing right now that you just wish we would stop doing? Now, the reason I asked two, let's step out of the role play for a little bit. The reason I ask for two is because usually the first one is going to be something that doesn't matter. They're going to say, oh, well, I wish we had more time together. Okay, great. We can maybe talk about what that would look like, but they're just going to come up with some answer. The second one is usually where the secret is. The second one, they might say, well, I really wish that I was able to bring my manager to these calls as well, because lots of times we talk about it, the owner, and then I have to go explain it to my team. So I wish they could be part of the call too. Now I've got some actionable intelligence. Now I've got something that I can do with. And then the last thing I will ask them is, okay, so we talked about what we should continue doing. We talked about what we should stop doing. What should we start doing? What haven't we done that we should do? So I call this stop, start, continue. And you can yeah. ask them in any order, right? I usually like to make the stop somewhere in the middle because I want the negative thing to kind of ideally be sandwiched between two positive the things. last one for sure. Right, exactly. Not yeah. the last one, exactly. But again, that's cultural and that's my understanding. Some people like to end on, well, what is the bad thing? What is the thing we should do away with? Because then it gives you a chance to correct it. But I like to think if we asked our customers, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we continue doing? We'll get a lot of information. And if we can do that in a regular way, and that's why I asked kind of at the beginning of a project, and then I ask about two thirds of the way through the project, you don't want to ask those questions at the end. See, most businesses only ask for feedback after it's done, when it's too late. Ask for feedback earlier. Do I ask for feedback at the end? Absolutely. But I don't want to be at the end going, oh, if I would have known you wanted your manager to be involved in the conversation, I would have said, invite them on the very first call. Yeah. But you never told me until the end. And I didn't ask. So the start, what was the order? So yeah, so continue, stop, start. But it can be, it, it, or it can be stop, start, continue, any order, yeah. but just those three things. And lots of times if you give them the chance to say, well, something to keep doing, something to start doing, something to stop doing, they feel more comfortable than if you just say, well, how could we serve you better? Lots of times I think as businesses, we ask questions that are too broad. We think that if we ask a really broad question, that will get all the things that they won't want to tell us about. That's not usually the way humans work. Humans usually work that if we ask a very specific, narrow question, they're going to try to answer that question. And in answering that, we'll actually get. So when I say, what are two things that we should just stop doing? And it doesn't have to be that they're bad or that you're, you're, you've, I failed. You know, it might be as simple as, hey, you know, we don't need the email reminder five minutes before the call. Oh, okay. I can easily turn that off. 
Yeah. Sometimes it's little things that make a big difference. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And you would do it in a phone, right? Not through chat or email or... Well, I think, again, it depends on the customer, right? So let's look at my house, for example. I'm married. My wife loves chat and loves texting. I want to talk to someone on the phone. So even within our own house, if you're going to come via phone, you're probably going to talk to me. If you want to do chat, the number of times, Daniel, that I've gone onto a chat and said, can you just call me so that I don't have to type all the things I want to explain? Different customers want to communicate with you in different channels. So if I sold a product in an e-commerce setting, what I would probably do is I would send an email that says, we would love to learn more about what we can do to make your experience better. You have a few options. Option number one, click here to answer a quick survey with three questions. Stop, start, continue are going to be the three questions, right? Option number two, click here to live chat with one of our representatives available right now to share your thoughts. That representative is going to be trained to ask those three questions. Yeah. Or click here to schedule a time at your convenience to have a 15-minute conversation with our head of customer experience. I want to talk to the person in charge. Now you've given some people will just do the survey. Some people will do the chat. Some people will do the call. Here's the interesting thing. Most people will do one of those three because they'll look at it and they'll go, oh, I don't want to do a call and I don't want to do it. Fine, I'll just answer the survey. Yeah. At least they'll give you the information. Whereas if we say, oh, we're only going to ask every 50th person. Well, now we're in a situation where what if that person doesn't want to answer? Okay, great. We wait 50 more. Now we're a hundred customers later and we still haven't gotten one piece of actionable data. I like to get data from every customer or at least as many as possible. But then we also should have a conversation about the importance of using the data you get because so many businesses ask for feedback and then they never even acknowledge receiving the feedback, nor do they do anything with the feedback. One of the things I work with my clients on is if you're going to ask for the feedback, you have to acknowledge that you got it. You have to acknowledge that someone thoughtfully read it. And then if you're going to make a change, you should celebrate where the idea came from. So I've had clients who've done things where a customer responded something and they said, guess what? We're going to change how our business operates. And they'll do a blog post or a story on their podcast where they say, well, Daniel told us that we should stop doing this. Thanks, Daniel at Budai Media for this point of advice. Here's what we're going to do. Boo, boo, boo. And then they tag you in the post. And then yeah. what are you going to do? Tell your friend. Look what I did. I had the good idea. They liked my idea. They changed yeah. more than me. And then do you think you're going to be willing to share even more ideas with that company? Absolutely. And everyone that sees that post or reads that article or hears that is going to say, they really listen. I'm a customer of theirs. Maybe I should share what I think they should do, or I should share what my problem was. I would say of the very successful business leaders that I know want even more feedback on what's working and not working than they get. They desperately want it. Sometimes people are like, oh, we shouldn't ask them because what if they say bad things? Your bigger fear should be what if we don't ask them and they think bad things and then they leave and yeah, we have no exactly. idea why. Yeah, I think uh, business leaders and marketers as well, they should be hungry for, uh, for feedback. I agree. I think all humans should be hungry for feedback. It's, it's yeah. evolution. This is how we get better, whether it's in our business rate or even just with our relationship with our partner. You know, I will regularly say to my wife, hey, what could I be doing different to make your life better? We've been together for 11 years now. She knows when I'm asked, I mean that honestly. But here's the thing. If she says, well, you could do this, I better be ready to do the thing she says. Because if we ask our customers what we can do for them and they tell us and we don't do it, the message that sends is, I heard what you said, but I didn't care enough about you to do anything. That's a problem. 
just a side note, actually last uh, week or two weeks ago, I told to our managers, if they get the feedback from someone and uh, they execute on it or not, they can decide, but it's their responsibility to tell that person who gave the feedback why it became executed or not. But yes, it's... It, it must happen. So it's not optional that you tell me something and then I do it or not. And that's it. We forget it. But I have to come back and tell you why it happened or not. So absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when we come back and we tell, and here's the thing, the other reason a lot of businesses, you, you've hit on it beautifully, Daniel. The other reason a lot of businesses don't ask for feedback is they say, well, what if the customer gives us feedback and we can't do it? What if the customer says your product costs $20? I want it to cost $2. Well, then you can say to the customer, we would love to have our product cost $2, but here's why it can't. We have to get our raw materials. We have to go through this process. We have to ship it over. We do all these things. It cost us $19 to do all the things. And then we sell it to you for $20. We only make $1 out of everything we do. And some people are like, oh, Joey, how, you know, we should never tell our customers how much profit we make. No, your customers want you to make a profit because they want you to stay in business. And if you don't make a profit, you don't get to stay in business. Now, do they want you to make a thousand percent profit or a 500% profit? No. But are they willing to let you make a 10% profit, a 20% profit, a 30%? Most customers are like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And how much easier would our businesses be if we just told our customers, look, this is, these are our expenses. This is what it costs. By the way, if you have a way, a, an idea for how we could do this better, let us know because we'd love to reduce our costs, but we don't know what else we can do. There's a company called Drops, I think. And we, I just talked about them on a, a podcast recording we did. My co-host talked about it. They sent an email because with all the things that have been going on with supply chain and shipping, they have to increase their shipping costs by $7. They proactively sent an email to all of their customers saying, here's the price increase that's coming. Here's why it's $7. We're not going to make any money on this. This is direct costs that we're getting. Here are three things you can do to avoid that charge. You can bundle more things together. You can sign up for this membership we have that is free shipping. You can do these different things. They basically told their customers how to avoid the charge. And then they said, and if you have any other questions about this charge or any problem with the charge, we're not happy about it. Here's the number. Call us. Let's talk. We'll try to work something out with you. The customer who received this sent it into our podcast and was like, I'm happy to pay the extra money because they explained why. They explained what's happening. See, I think we should do a better job of being open with our customers and explaining what's going on. Hey, we're having a hard time finding good employees. Hey, we're having a hard time getting these raw materials. Hey, we're just overwhelmed. We have so many new customers that have joined. We're just overwhelmed. We're trying to staff up and figure it out. Please be patient with us. Nine times out of 10, if you're honest with your customers, you'll get to see that most human beings are good. Most human beings want you to succeed. What they don't want to do is feel that they're not getting the whole story, that they're getting lied to, that they're being manipulated. The more honest we can be with our customers, the happier our customers are. And I think the easier it is to run our businesses. Yeah, I agree. And one of our highest converting uh, emails is uh, the apology email, actually. Mm -hmm. When there is any trouble with the customers of our clients, then we just use an apology email and it always converts really well because people appreciate honesty and get some kind 
kind of you know discount code or some nice incentive to buy again even if we have some troubles with the shipping or prices whatever they will really appreciate it so it's really powerful i have only one question to you so please explain your uh, lego addiction in like <laughs> one minute <laughs> oh my lego addiction daniel you did your homework i love it yes i do have a lego addiction i've been a big fan of lego since i was a little kid now that i have two little boys we build legos i find lego to be very therapeutic you know as somebody who runs a business i know you run a business as well lots of times when we start a project it's a long time before we see the results one of the things about i like about lego is i can sit down with my boys and in a saturday afternoon we've gone from here's a box of everything to here's the yeah. completely built model and that feeling of completion that feeling of progress is really nice i also think they're just an amazingly well-run company with great customer service that creates a really fun product that never breaks i don't know about you i have legos today that my boys play with that i played with 40 years ago when i was a kid yeah you never hear about a broken lego like it's just they the toy keeps working i'm a big fan as a result thank you joey it was a really interesting conversation and uh thanks everyone who listened to the podcast and if you like this episode then make sure you subscribe on uh, youtube hit the notification bell so you get notified when we upload a new video and if you are on one of the major podcasting platforms then uh, make sure you start following us and give us an honest review and thanks again everyone and stay tuned